0: welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. This episode is the companion to Back from the Future Part 2. And we thought we would tackle the topic of seeing and perception. The perception of others, of situations, and others seeing you. And we thought it would be relevant for this episode obviously because of the technology themes that they hit on with Toy Man and Lex spying on everyone (laughs) and poor Alex feeling like watched at the DEO. And then we had Kara Wynn, Lena, and brainy, all perceiving the intentions of others. Sometimes more accurately than others. (laughs) Yes. And then multiple characters dealt with choosing to see the big picture or being manipulated to the big picture with regard to moral action, their own ambitions, or for instance, with wind, time travel, compared to, say, like focusing on the details.
1: Mm -hmm. Like, for example, if a really great visual representation of this with Lena crouched over her microscope peering at the contact lenses.
0: Yes. But before we dive into all that, we should tackle the concept of perception, which is the process of getting, interpreting, selecting, and organizing sensory information. And you'll know that they are all verbs, which emphasizes how this is not a passive process. Hmm. You're actively participating and impacting how you read and acquire information.
1: Yeah, and perception Perception can include a lot of different things we've talked about in some of our previous episodes related to Kara and her senses, Mm -hmm. how you have your literal ability to perceive like physical things happening around you via sight, sound, touch. Sent. So that's one way of acquiring and using information to make decisions. And other ones include maybe what your foundation is in terms of the language and the vocabulary that you have. For example, if you're lacking a way to describe something that's going to perhaps affect how you perceive it. <laughs> Your lived experiences will definitely affect your perceptions and how you read different kinds of situations. And then related to that, you also will use your past experiences and your sensory systems to make predictions or to fill in gaps in information in order to create a big or small picture of the world around you. Mm.
0: And with prediction, it's interesting because that plays an active part, even in your literal senses of sight, for instance, and in that the prediction aspect of how you perceive is what makes you see certain types of visual illusions. For instance, seeing only the corners of a box and then your brain connecting the line so that it looks like a box. <laughs>
1: oh, or like one of those puzzles where... Or it's like the four dots and it's like, stare at them and you'll see a cube. Yeah.
0: So your past experiences and the systems that you come up with in your brain definitely shape the way you perceive. And one of the types of systems you can have are cognitive styles, for instance, holistic or analytic thinking. And these are psychological concepts. With holistic thinking, you prioritize context and the big picture. And it's kind of like top-down processing, where you start sort of with assumptions, and then you work downward to the details. Your knowledge influences your perception the most with holistic thinking. And then analytic thinking, on the other hand, is when you prioritize a focal object or like the fine details in comparison to the big picture. So that would be like bottom-up processing, starting small and then coming to conclusions, stimulus-based perception. So that is perception you looking outward but there's also being perceived to consider.
1: Yeah so one of the things that this episode dealt with a lot and I think it's something on people's minds in reality as well is the feeling of being watched and being judged by other people sometimes through technological means. <laughs> And so this idea is documented dating surprisingly far back in history, considering that we think these technologies are fairly new. But that sensation of being wary of how others are watching or perceiving you is as old as human behavior. Um, (laughs) And there was this sociology concept that was written in the 1790s by Jeremy Bentham called the panopticon. The all-seeing eye, which if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, you should have a really (laughs) solid visual in your brain of what that is. Um, (laughs) But he was traveling and he wanted to come up with a way to invent both a physical technological structure and a social system in which one individual could control the behavior of many people. And we are seeing some people trying to do that (laughs) currently in Supergirl. And so in the case of Bentham writing, you know, a couple hundred years ago at this point, he designed essentially a prison complex that would demonstrate this concept. He put a single guard tower in the center and he made the prison circular so that the guard tower could see into every single prison cell at any time. Mm -hmm. depending on which way you looked. The thing was, though... That the guard could see out, the prisoners could not see in, so they have no way of knowing when they are being watched or for how long, which therefore leaves everyone constantly afraid that they are being watched. This is actually one of the most effective schedules for behavior conditioning Mm -hmm. because people will modify their behavior as often as possible out of fear that they're going to be caught doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. And we see a number of characters (laughs) grappling with the consequences. Consequences of some of these sensations of are you being watched or what are people going to do if they see what you are doing?
0: Hmm. So those are some of the concepts that we will be applying to the different situations with the Supergirl characters in this episode in particular. And the first character that we're going to apply these concepts to is Win. In terms of perceiving others and perceiving what their intentions are, Wynne brought up actually the concept of theory of mind. He said he wrote into a little blue book when he was a child different ways to express Premax theory of mind, which is fairly relevant for his character in this episode. And having a theory of mind is basically having an ability to understand the desires, intentions, beliefs of others, and understanding that they can be different from your own. So one might ask a question like, does this particular animal have theory of mind? Do they understand that other dogs or humans have different knowledge than they do? And it's a step in development for humans that they reach as toddlers. Understanding that if someone puts something in a box and then they leave the room and someone else moves it out of the box that when they come back they're going to look into the box not knowing that it is gone they're not going to know the same thing that the observer does and this is applicable to win because in this episode he has sort of a journey of understanding his father's intentions we see him actually make judgments about how his father felt in the past early in the episode when he says i thought he was going to be mad but he seemed proud and then he says of course now i know it wasn't pride was greed. Mm. So he's making this assessment based on the same information, but changing it based on the context. And this is based in the holistic style of thinking that I explained. He thinks my dad is and was a bad person, and that's the context. Therefore, his individual actions and beliefs are probably also bad. So applying his general knowledge to individual instances versus examining the instances without that context, which is perhaps correct for this example. However, he sticks to that kind of thinking, the holistic thinking, and it makes it difficult for him to recognize his father when he sees him again behaving differently. Hmm. He says, if we let him go, he will do what he always does and wreak havoc everywhere. And so there are no exceptions to this concept.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of interesting to see when in that mentality, I mean, understandably, because... Every time he's had to interact with his dad in his adult life, it has been a disappointment. (laughs) His dad has tried to kill people. Mm -hmm. But we also saw that Wynne had a similar difficulty accepting that his mom was different than he perceived when she came back into his life in season three when he was an adult. And it took receiving encouragement and support from his friends and loved ones as an adult to reconsider and then recognize that maybe there was room to move forward from there.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you bring that up because a line that Wynne says in this episode reminded me of his interactions that he had had with his mother in that episode mm. in season three. When he was with his mother, she recognized, you don't need me. And he said, I mean, no, I don't, but you're here. And in Back from the Future Part 2, Wynne yells at his father and says, I do not need you. So here we're seeing him have kind of a, a self-perception in play. And we've seen in other instances him show signs of this self-perception. He said, I've done great despite the circumstances. I made some true friends (laughs) in his conversation with James in season three. So he has this idea that he raised himself. He didn't need the parents that he didn't have. He has decided. And this self-perception makes him resist the possibility that he might need his father right now. Like, I didn't need my father growing up, so I never will. Hmm. And when thinking holistically was put in contrast, kind of subtly with Kara at first, she was using a bit of analytic thinking in the situations with Wynne. She was more receptive to new information that conflicted with who you would think the whole of Toy Man Senior is. Like, Kara stops Wynne initially from shooting the screen that had Wynne's father's face on it, and he had only said a few things. And I find it likely that she noticed signs of his intent that we as viewers could also tell with sort of unthreatening body language and his like meek he has kind of a quiet voice already but it was less malice filled than usual and then she clearly wanted to follow his father's advice about where to go but when was rejecting it so she's more open to the information right in front of her and is separating that from the context or accepting that it is capable of being true within the context of who toy man senior is hmm. we have win saying like trusting him never leads to anything good and then car in typical car fashion is like i get that But never is a big word. (laughs) I mean, she's not wrong. Yes, and so she wants to leave room for variation under this concept of who his father is, and she cites Jean and Malefic's relationship as evidence that it is possible to go from the idea that trusting someone is never going to be possible and nothing good can come from it mm. to something good actually coming from it. And she says sometimes people can surprise us when Win tells her that his father helped save his life, which kind of ties into the idea that like as many tools as we have to perceive others' intent, we cannot actually actually predict behavior with perfect accuracy. It's kind of a leap of faith, just like Wynne's father says. Which takes us to Wynne's father. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the change that he went through, or <laughs> the change he didn't go through. He says, I haven't changed here, but I have learned. <laughs> he and we find out that he had sought to become hyper conscious, is how Wynne phrases it and the term Literally means like intensely or excessively aware. And he wants to become omniscient, kind of all-knowing and have the ability to perceive all. Kind of like being in the tower in the panopticon, but able to look everywhere all at once. Yes,
1: and we're never quite sure why. Like, what is his end goal with that? Because he likes to just leave creepy toys everywhere. So, like, yeah. is he just like a
0: malicious jokester? Like, He was very intense on having a legacy with his toys, I think, right? Yeah. So, well, speaking of trying to perceive someone's intent, but as... Perhaps nefarious as his plans were with regard to becoming an internet consciousness. He ended up actually learning a lot about his son and his son's life. And he began to see Win for his own accomplishments versus how he perceived him before, Mm. which was kind of like an extension of his own self and like kind of a mirror of him.
1: Yeah, because Wynn always, we've heard him talk about how he perceived that he and his dad were alike when he was a kid. And obviously his dad either encouraged that or saw those similarities, but never recognized
0: the places where Wynn was different. So mm-hmm. getting to see that here was cool. Yeah. When he targeted him in season one, he tried to convince him that he was going to like basically become him. But here he says that he's the best parts of me.
1: Yeah. There's this recognition that he was not Wynn's Soul creator or soul guiding influence, and has taken enough time where he's reflected on himself. And win, mm-hmm. and seen the ways that win has applied those qualities to positively affect
0: others. Yeah, and here we kind of see the benefits of technology and the ability to see everything. As Man Senior says, "In here, you can do anything, apparently, including some nice things." Mm-hmm.
1: I also really liked the choice of words in saying that, in essentially becoming an artificial consciousness, he has learned, even if he hasn't changed necessarily, Mm -hmm. because the way that AI is trained is usually through machine learning, Mm -hmm. which is essentially when you write code to help technology learn on its own via processing data that it encounters. Mm -hmm. So typically you would train it first with like a sample or you just have people use it over and over and then it assesses all of the ways that people are using it and comes up with patterns to figure out what it is that they want. So if you think about Google, how you could type like four random words and it'll get you the specific thing that you need. Mm -hmm. No one sat and literally taught the search engine that that's the result that you need. (laughs) Yeah. It's just learn that over time from seeing what people click on when they type that string of words. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, connecting it back to this idea of being able to see a broad perspective or to see everything, Mm -hmm. when you are able to collect much more data, it can affect your perspective and your judgment of things Mm -hmm. because you have more than just your own lens of experience to look through. Yes.
0: I also thought it was interesting that he literally changes his perspective Mm. in the episode when he stands on the wall. And it's to convince Wynne to change the way he is, one, perceiving the digital space. Yeah. Which I liked that in the sense of it working
1: nicely with kind of sci-fi tropes in a way Mm -hmm. where when you're in something that's not a traditional space bound by traditional rules, your creativity tends to be what wins the day. Yeah,
0: wins the day. (laughs) I know. When And like literally the way he perceives the space he's in changes how he, you know, not physically interacts with it, but it changes his experience of it. hmm
1: Well, and it changes the strategies that he uses mm. in order to deal with the problem he's encountering.
0: Yes. And then the second perspective that changes for Win is how he sees his father. Based on that advice, he makes the choice to trust him in this instance. And it works out pretty well for Win. Mostly, yeah. <laughs> not super great for his father, but... <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, but Wynne does get to have, like, a real hero moment, which feels like a journey he's actually been on for a while, if you think back to in Season 2 when he was so proud of himself for, like, hitting someone with a rock. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I also said that that scene reminded me a lot of when he defeated Indigo yeah, in Season 1. That's great. Computer lad. Yeah, well, and it also, it's Wynne doing the thing that he is good at, and he doesn't need special powers to do it, yeah. even though he is
0: part of the Legion now. Mm-hmm. Oh, and another thing that he changes his perspective on is the name Toy Man. Yes, I liked that. We had just talked about names in the last episode, mm. Toy Man included. Yeah, talking about
1: legacies. Mm-hmm.
0: He shifts his perspective to sort of reclaiming the name and turning it into something good.
1: Which I also thought was an interesting choice given that that was Lena's original intention and in rebranding Luther Corp as El Corp mm-hmm. in season two. Yeah. And now that's gone because Lex took it from her. <sighs>
0: yeah. <laughs> And our next character that we're going to discuss, particularly in relation to theory of mind and trying to perceive what others are thinking, we have Kara. Another relevant concept in relation to theory of mind and then Holistic thinking is heuristics, which is a psychological term. And these are useful but imperfect kind of like rules of thumb based on our past experiences. So these are basic tactics applied widely, which you can compare to holistic thinking. So you don't have to then assess all the details to form an opinion or to take action, which can be quite useful and practical. An example is, for instance, the authority heuristic, which is the idea that like they probably know better than me because they're an authority. Authority on the subject, which in a lot of cases is a fair bet, but it's still a bet. And with Kara, we see her apply heuristics in a couple cases. A quick example is a moral heuristic that she uses, which is I'm not leaving this fight. So she has this broad code. which is what Brainy calls it, that she applies to every situation to determine what action is required quickly with ease. Rather than like examining the pros and cons of fighting in that battle, she has the stance that she doesn't leave fights. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not even when she dies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting because Brainy latches onto that term code with relation to the Lexo suits he. And I thought that was interesting because their code included sort of shortcuts like heuristics that were written into the program, which was how they used heat and sound to indicate what was an enemy for them to shoot at.
1: I take great joy in knowing that it was either Lex or Lena who likely programmed them <laughs> and then didn't think far enough outside the box. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, perhaps it was useful in terms of optimization.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, that's why (laughs) programmers will make the decisions that they do. Mm -hmm. It's just really funny then because Brainy, as an AI, is looking at them like, cool, they're shooting a chair.
0: Uh, (laughs) You're weak. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm you, but stronger. (laughs) Your code is not as good as mine.
1: (laughs) That was a really... Cool example of the way the show has taken a kind of back and forth stance on the value of technology and whether it is inherently good or bad. Mm -hmm. Because the scene of the two like mindless suits just shooting a chair on fire, (laughs) it's a moment where we see a technology that is neutral in the sense that it's literally just like two robots (laughs) attacking a piece of
0: furniture. Yeah, following a command, you know.
1: Yeah, but. They can't do anything else without human interaction to help reset how the technology should be applied or what it should be used for. And similarly, all of the other technology that we've seen being used this season, whether it's Lina's, whether it's Andrea's, whether it's Wynne's dad turning himself into an artificial (laughs) consciousness and also Evil Wynn. none of that technology on its own is truly useful or beneficial or harmful until a human being steps in to guide the actions of that technology and decide its intent. Mm -hmm. It can't have that value on its own. People have to provide it. So if you think about the virtual reality, which now in the hands of Andrea being pushed by Gemma is taking on Mm -hmm. this really creepy undertone of wanting to keep people Isolated from reality. <laughs> yeah. But then compare that to the way Kelly wants to deploy it, where she is there as a guiding presence to use it to help people. It's the exact same technology, but. It's two very different goals and two very different sets of outcomes much like we'll see what happens with the uh, <laughs> when it's finished because I'm pretty sure whatever goal Lena has for it is not what's gonna happen
0: yeah uh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting with regard to something like the lexo suits because they've been given this code which includes like a heuristic where there's a shortcut of like generally things that are loud and warm are probably humans <laughs> that you have to attack
1: <laughs> Or Kryptonians. Let's not be specious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, fair. People. <laughs> but they don't have the ability to adapt. Or change their perspective.
1: Well, they only have it insofar as whoever created them gave them that ability. Like if you think back to season one with Red Tornado, that was able to learn from fighting Kara, but only because it was like directly fused to someone's brain. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Another sign that don't do it, guys, (laughs) with with that VR.
0: But they can't change of their own volition, their perspective or the thinking style (laughs) that they have, which is interesting because... In people, it can be limiting if one isn't willing to adapt the way that they are perceiving a situation or others or themselves, which relates to that concept of a heuristic. And for Kara, we saw in this episode, her employ a representativeness heuristic. And representativeness heuristic is when one assumes an individual case of something is more representative of like everything than it actually is. So assigning like a greater
1: weight to one instance of something happening, mm-hmm. then you should,
0: yes, based on the likelihood of it to continue to happen mm. Mm-hmm. And Kara in this episode says, my double life blew up my friendship with Lena. So how am I supposed to date someone? So she's like, this one case went terribly. Therefore, I can't continue to have other relationships with new people because it will happen again. (laughs) And she expresses the same sentiment to Alex toward the end of the episode when she says that she can't even take the first step in a relationship because it's doomed for deception. And Alex is like, you don't know that for sure. (laughs) She's like, well, it happened with my friendship with Lena. So she's clearly emphasizing this one instance as representative.
1: Well, it was a little traumatic
0: considering
1: that Lena locked her in a bubble full of kryptonite and then lied to her in a mean way in in response. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, it stands to reason with traumatic situations that take up more space in your head and they feel more representative than they really are.
1: Exactly. Well, and also too because Kara so rarely makes mistakes in that way Mm -hmm. that... She will panic and overcorrect. Yeah,
0: <laughs> which you'll have more comments on. I certainly do have more thoughts. And Wynne tries to point out that just because Lena reacted the way she did does not mean other people will.
1: Yeah, it is amusing to have her react that way to Win. When we know he was totally okay with it when she told him this fact, not Mm -hmm. only was he okay with it, he was like, yeah, cool, I will support you in every way that you will let me. (laughs) Yes. And Kara's had similarly successful reactions from other people in her life. So Mm -hmm. she's definitely fixating on... Lena's negative response in a way that's actually reminiscent of how Kara sharply overcorrected the amount of time and emotional energy she directed at Alex early on in season two after they had the conversation in... Alex is coming out episode about how Alex never had that same amount of emotional space. And Kara then in response was like, well, I'll give you all the space (laughs) and just not tell you anything until I get so upset about it that I bottle it up and bottle it up and then confess it to a Martian impersonator that nearly kills me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh <laughs> you know. <sighs> As you do. <laughs> and then that that overcorrection extended to Lena. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of set us up for what's yep. happening now in a way.
1: Yeah, actually. Because <laughs> Lena was where Kara then put her energy mm-hmm. to compensate for the fact that she was distancing herself from Alex to give Alex space. But
0: she was also doing it in a way that prioritized Lena's emotional space. Yeah. And it's interesting because Kara is making kind of the same mistake that Lena has been this whole time in terms of a representative heuristic. Mm, and like applying too liberally. Yes. Lena considered the members of her family as representative of, of Society? all of people. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> yeah. whether or not you can have good relationships with anyone. And then when Kara quote unquote betrayed her, she decided that all friendships were like that. And in, in Kara's case, she's considering Lena as representative of future relationships for her. With anyone and with everyone. Anyone, any kind of relationship. <laughs> anyone she hasn't already out to as an alien. but it's interesting because I think her decisions regarding William might have more of a root in her making moral decisions. Mm. Like even if William would react differently than Lena, Carr has been convinced because of this experience that it is always morally wrong to lie. She's applying this kind of broad code to every situation and resisting that possibility of nuance in a very holistic thinking mm. style. And I think that it's a shift in Carr's sense of morality and moral code because we've seen her go on dates with people who didn't know her secret before, Adam and... Not often, mind you, but yeah. No, she doesn't date a whole lot. But she always came to the conclusion that keeping everyone safe was more important than telling people before she goes on one date with them that she is an alien. Mm -hmm. And we saw for a long time her decide that keeping the secret from Lena was the right thing to do, even though it made her uncomfortable. So there's nuance there where like... Like it doesn't feel good to keep things from people, especially because I think Kara personally would like to be open. She seems like a person who likes to share things.
1: Really? You don't say. (laughs) Yes. Kara likes to tell
0: people things about her life. (laughs) Unless they are sad things. Yes, and then she will keep it all inside until she dies. Uh. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. But she has since changed her mind on her moral code. And, you know, because of the way Lena reacted where she didn't agree with the nuance that Kara expressed to her that, like, I was trying to keep you safe, that must mean that Kara was wrong and the cons outweigh the pros with lying. Mm. Thinking
1: back to season two, where Kara was so adamant in her judgment that Lita was a good person, it's very interesting that her reaction to all of this is to conclude that she is the one who is wrong.
0: Hmm. Yeah.
1: Versus saying, well, maybe my judgment and my perception of things was lacking information or was not wholly accurate, which will make next week's episode very interesting. (laughs) Very
0: interesting, (laughs) yes. Kara has sort of internalized Lena's representative heuristic that she has of my family's lies to me were her hurtful. So every lie is hurtful. That's why she reacted the way that she did. And so Kara has internalized the part that's like, every lie is hurtful. And she expressed at the end of the episode that she just feels like she did something wrong, that like if she had acted differently, it would be okay now. And we're going to see in the next episode if that is true. And Wynn plays a similar kind of role for Kara that Kara did for him in trying to get Kara to focus on what's immediately in front of her in a way. He advises her to basically tackle her problems in smaller bites. Bites, like data. Nice. (laughs) Versus envisioning what everything means for the whole of her relationships. He tries to get her to assess people on a case by case basis by saying, like, just go on a date with William, then see where it goes and like decide later on if it feels right to tell him the truth or to keep it a secret. Basically gather more information, which would be more of an analytical thinking style. It would. And that's also something Kara has
1: been slowly working on Mm -hmm. since season one, both in her reporter life and in her personal life. (laughs) She tends to like to make very quick decisions. Mm -hmm. She has super speed. But sometimes (laughs) she does need to take that step and just go one bit at a time and look at the information in front of her before jumping three steps
0: ahead. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's funny because she would benefit from remembering sometimes people can surprise us. (gasps) Who said that? Who said that? Surely not (laughs) (laughs) Kara. And it's funny that Kara said that in this episode because I feel like that's like most of her arc this season – Like Mm. Kara assuming that she knows what a person is capable of and then being proven wrong and then having to deal with that and what that means and maybe not jumping to (laughs) giant proclamations about all of – her life, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> eventually.
1: Yes. And it's also kind of fun that Wynne gives Kara the advice to give it time on her relationship with Lena and letting things heal so she can move forward because Alex gave Kara that same advice about Win. Yeah. Back in season one and said to just give him some space and time to reconfigure himself and his relationship with her. And Kara's reaction was to make a face and be like, I hate space and time, which I suppose she would from sitting in the Phantom Zone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I quite like that parallel. It's also funny because Wynne has a lot of time right now (laughs) in the sense that he's he's from the future and he knows what's going to happen with that
1: relationship. Mm -hmm. And Jeremy even mentioned that on Twitter when he was answering a couple of questions from fans saying that you might catch Wynne kind of reacting to himself about Mm -hmm. certain things that the other characters are dealing with because he sort of already knows what might play out.
0: Yeah, has a bit of a a twinkle in his eye. Wynne being from the future gives him kind of a bird's eye view of the situation. And carr is kind of trying to take an overhead view, but it's not based on data. It's based on her assumptions. Mm. So she has this imagined future that Her relationship with William will end in despair. And she's so focused on that possibility that she's not building up a theory of the future based on data in front of her. And we'll see if that maybe shifts after the 100th episode and if the way that she is perceiving her relationships alters. And the next major character we'll be discussing is Alex. This episode was Alex versus technology. But really, versus the people behind the technology. Mm-hmm. But she certainly had some stances that she voiced about tech in the episode. Because we saw the DEO resources being used against Alex and her team. She says, we've outsmarted ourselves. Very <laughs> clever. There were a lot of
1: reactions from people who were live posting about it. Like, why would you have a smart gun? <laughs> and guys, I hate to tell you, but um, it's America. <laughs> Anything that can have extra technology attached to it will. Yes.
0: I looked it up and the ones I found were where only authorized personnel can use the gun. So
1: it's smart in that sense. Oh, you mean like a biometric kind of thing, like Mm -hmm. to keep other people from using it? Yes. Yes. But so fun fact, pretty much anything that is a smart device is inherently insecure because that means that it can be hacked and used against you, Mm -hmm. which this episode aptly demonstrated Yeah. But that is true in real life as well, which is why there is growing concern about the presence of smart devices like, you know, those door cameras that Amazon is trying to push into Mm. everybody's house and stuff like that. Yeah. And Alex came up with some inventive solutions. (laughs) Yes. Which mostly involved removing the technology forcibly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So she's using her like depleted team, only twelve of them, to fight a battle against Toy Man and then kind of Lex in a way, who are both watching them. Then Alex points out the sort of surveillance situation that they have. We have all these eyes and ears in there looking and listening all the time, but who's watching who? And the way that they represented this concept of like being perceived and watched was interesting in this episode. We had the various devices that Toy Man uses from within the digital space of the DEO. The first like hint of sort of surveillance <laughs> that we have in the episode is when we have drones attack. Brainy.
1: Actually, that's kind of like how Max sent the drones after Kara a little bit mm. to test her and gather information without her knowing. Yes.
0: And it was interesting because the flying monkeys, they were kind of drone-like. They gave me that vibe in, like, giving Toy Man Win information. And I thought that was funny because in The Wizard of Oz, the flying monkeys were used by the Wicked Witch of the West to spy on Dorothy and her gang and (laughs) and then report back to her. And then we have an emphasis on the point of view of the Lexo suits that Toy Man uses against the DO agents. Mm. And we see what the Lexo suits see several times during the the battle and then we also have a moment when evil toy man win appears on the deo screen in the command center Mm. and he says don't you know it's rude to talk about someone behind their back so he obviously overheard their plans to defeat him so there's a definitely a sense of like being listened to and watched without anyone knowing it's happening yeah and
1: speaking of that (laughs) alex is guilty of this as well (laughs) we find out that she's planted some spyware within the deo's system in order to keep track of Alex and what he's up to, except he's already found it and is using it in the reverse and then uses that to blackmail Brainy by saying if Alex acts on any information she may find,
0: (laughs) he has no more use for Alex. Hmm. And you had a fun observation about Alex trying to spy on Lex, but Lex knowing.
1: Yeah, it reminded me a lot of season one where you have this moment of Kara and Alex hanging out and Alex reassures Kara that she knows... Again, thinking back to perceptions and basing them off of past experience, Mm. the kind of guy that Max is, and that she will be able to see his plan Mm. or decisions coming from a mile away, not knowing that Max had already put a camera like on her purse and is actively spying on her in that moment. (laughs) Which is so many levels of creepy. Mm -hmm. And you've got this similar sense of, well, I'm already taking a proactive step to counter this bad person. And yet they're already still one more step ahead of you, Mm. which is similar to how both Lena and Brainy think that they're in positions to exert influence or control in different ways over what Lex is doing. But because all of them are working in isolation and he can see all the pieces moving on the board, he actually has the advantage. Yes. At least at the moment. (laughs) Over certain people. Yes. Well, Alex makes it rather interesting and not unsurprising, if you take a wider look at it, choice in this episode.
0: Yes. Well, the way that she handles the situation with the technology, quite logically, is to take out the chips of the smart guns and the communication tech and, you know, send them on their way, take that out of the equation. And it was funny because we had this visual of her shooting the camera in the Lexo suit preventing it from perceiving her and she says game over and then she extracts herself from where they can observe her so she first tried to take some technology out of the equation and then eventually she takes herself out of the equation
1: yes and i really liked the way it was framed with the kind of game over Mm -hmm. because it immediately made me think of the really famous quote from war games which is an 80s sci-fi movie set in the cold war with the quote the only way to win is not to play and it's a film about an ai and the dangers of ai tech because the computer can't distinguish simulation from reality and the moment you start to play it puts the whole world on a crash course towards world war three um (laughs) (laughs) Which the Supergirl technologies are not quite there, but they are certainly potentially leading towards a lot of danger for people. And it is exploring this idea of how do we know what is a simulation and what's real. So Mm -hmm. that was very neatly done. Yes. Connecting all those things together. The one thing that was a little disappointing with this decision is that being a DEO agent has been fundamental to Alex's character in the same way that being Supergirl was set up as being fundamental to Kara's character. Mm-hmm. Like they each got an introduction in their civilian life and then their like hero introduction in the very first episode of the series. Yeah. And so for Alex to be making such a big decision, which she's been on the fence with for a couple of years seasons now and not have it get a little bit more contemplation like they kind of tried to give it a closing beat in that scene at the end with alex and Kara, but this episode was very full and it could have done with a little bit more breathing room and given that the next episode is themed the way it is i don't know that we're gonna get any
0: more So we'll see. Well, because if you envision sort of the possibilities with the storyline of Alex leaving the DEO, there would be perhaps more depth of emotion attached to the situation. Yes. So what has been happening in the show is that, like, Alex's role at the DEO from, like, a personal emotional standpoint has become less and less present. Yeah, yeah. So in a way, it feels natural that she's just not going there anymore. Like it kind of died off, but it's not emotionally rewarding, especially considering where Mm. we've come from. And it would have been nice to see her grapple with it more. But I think they would have had to do more setup maybe with Alex's relationships with her fellow DEO agents. And it felt like the DEO doesn't really mean anything for her anymore.
1: Yeah, which is very strange when you consider how much it has meant to her as that lifeline Line that she was offered when she was in a very low place. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, like, it sort of makes sense because the reason it meant so much to her was really more about the people and the individual relationships that she had. And those are no longer present there.
0: And that's sort of what I think has been missing for Alex in relation to the DEO is that she hasn't had personal relationships with anyone there for a while, except for Brainy, who isn't tied to the DEO by merit. He's just kind of part of the gang. <laughs> But it will be interesting to see what they come up with for Alex, and maybe finding a better fit for their storytelling style now, and trying to make her job like resonate with her as a character. So we'll see where it goes Mm. in her uh, Jean Jones and daughters' (laughs) company (laughs) she works at now. (laughs) It's perfect.
1: And then to kind of round out our commentary on perception and how we saw it manifest with different characters, we'll touch base with some of the. Other supporting characters in this episode, like Lex, who aptly described himself in a kind of technology sci-fi pun way as a Big Brother, which he said to Lena, meaning it literally, but also meaning
0: it in the George Orwell sense. Mm -hmm. And Big Brother in that story, Nineteen Eighty-Four, had a panopticon effect in perceiving everyone all the time and not knowing whether or not you're being watched in a dystopian realm. And Lex. Is like hashtag goals <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yes, and he is actively playing the game, unlike Alex, kind of of who has the most access to like can observe others, who can perceive threats and opportunities, and who can envision the grandest plan, and obviously that's him. <laughs> Well, of course. And he sort of has eyes everywhere.
1: (laughs) Which I found really funny, given that we saw him last season stab out the eyes on his portrait of his mother in the Luther mansion, because apparently he doesn't like feeling... As though someone is
0: watching his every move. Mm, Which is perhaps why he has his eyes on Leviathan as an enemy or someone to overtake. Mm, It's kind of like needing to be the smartest person in the room. He needs to know everything and see everything. And we see him follow that desire when he bypasses Lena's shielding in her underground lab. He like hacked into her system to Skype. (laughs) And he does it in that individual case and he's presumably also spying on her regularly. We, we just know. <laughs> Context. Yeah. And he has a discussion with Gemma in order to get Andrea to work with Luther Corp and says, we have allies and assets, government stooges and supporters in every corner of the globe. That's the kind of reach you can't get with just a snap of your fingers. That's his pitch. Well, you can if you're Lex and you rewrite the Book of Destiny. <laughs> Oh, he's the paragon of truth in that he wants to know everything. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) (laughs) And then he also, as we mentioned, knows that Alex installed spyware. He had already decided to spy on her long before she was like, hmm. And he also makes sure to have access to her when Toy Man strikes the DEO and planting that old phone there.
1: Well, yeah, but that's actually really consistent. If you think back to last season, he also kept analog records of all of the experiments and stuff that were going on, everything was paper. Mm,
0: neat. Yes. So those are some examples of him having like eyes everywhere. And he also tries to sort of see the future, be 10 steps ahead of everyone. For instance, he did know about Twayman and the possibility of him attacking the DEO. However, he isn't, it seems, 10 steps ahead of the massive hive mind of Leviathan, who <laughs> we were introduced to through their expansive reach that they demonstrated last season at the end, the woman said, Leviathan is everywhere. Leviathan is everyone.
1: (laughs) Which is also really interesting when you consider we've had the brainiacs talking about the big brain, Hmm. which is a shared consciousness. Yes. And now we've also seen Evil Toy Man and Evil Toy Man Senior in a shared consciousness. Hashtag
0: stronger together. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And another possible exception to Lex being like 10 steps ahead of everyone, although we'll see, is the Martian eavesdropping technology that Jean suggests Alex uses. So it will be interesting to see if that technology is more advanced than what Lex has at his disposal. I mean, I would hope so, but... (laughs) And thus would be an edge. But then again, Brady knows about it. So we'll see. This is true. It is very interesting,
1: though, that we had multiple instances in this episode of characters believing that they are playing someone else or they are in control of what is happening based on their own perception of events. But then we get a reveal that actually the other person either knows what's happening Or the other person is actually already ahead of them and is spying on them in reverse. (laughs) So we have then this question coming up of who's really, you know, driving this train, Uh, (laughs) particularly when you think, you know, Lex is convinced that he's got Leviathan right where he wants them. And they're like, well, now we have the Luthers. And we know Lex lost this fight before,
0: which is why he wanted a do-over. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But it's interesting in terms of Lex and his grand plans, because he manipulates several people, or tries to, (laughs) by emphasizing their own sort of big picture goals in terms of, like, your perspective and the way that you perceive a situation and the things that can blind you. He uses this tactic on Alex. He says to her when she argues with him that national safety is our primary responsibility. We'll talk a little bit more about Lena and Brainy. And as we just mentioned, he talks to Gemma, who works with Leviathan, and says, I'd think a woman of your vision and insight would be able to see past the superficial. So prioritizing kind of a holistic vision. Although, as we know, Gemma sees an even bigger picture than he does. And he also tries to manipulate Andrea through Emma in the same way.
1: With some success, but only because Leviathan is also playing him. Mm-hmm. so Yes. But that takes us to Lena and her
0: perceptions in this episode.
1: Who Lex certainly manipulated quite successfully yes. again in this
0: episode. You mentioned the microscopic vision <laughs> yes, <laughs> that she has. It's interesting because there's a bit of a dichotomy here of her prioritizing these big picture goals and, and her vision for the future. But in reality, she's tunneling and, and her world is very small right now.
1: Yeah, which is cool metaphorically too because Lex as a source of her emotional abuse would want to emotionally isolate her and Mm. literally isolate her from other people. And so her world actually is quite narrowed, Mm. both literally and figuratively right now. And I think it bears repeating, because I see this come up a lot, that being intellectually intelligent does not mean you can't be a victim of abuse Mm. and that you can't be a repeat victim of abuse. There's a lot of people complaining that, like, Lena's so smart, she should see it that's not how emotional baggage works particularly with the people that you've known the longest and who are very good at pushing your buttons and especially if they're a sociopath Mm -hmm. so (laughs) like that needs to be kept in mind with all of this in terms of the pacing of it I actually think as far as that goes Lena's progress or lack thereof is fairly accurately done yes
0: Lex in this episode is manipulating Lena in like asking her for permission for things (laughs) for once Mm -hmm. like tricking her Her into thinking he's like an equal partner. Yes. And he like tries to help her because it's about her and not himself. (laughs) But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, sure. But like he's also kind of truthful when she confronts him about that like this is really about you he's like yeah so that lena reads this all as genuine or more genuine than Mm -hmm. it really is well the best way to get away with lies is to mix in the truth Mm -hmm. so yes which lex does very well yes he did it in his manipulation of lena in season four (sighs) Mm -hmm. when he talked about her mother i mean he was dying of cancer too (laughs) yes and it's interesting because this is a time when holistic thinking and you know a greater context with regard to the theory of mind and perceiving others' intentions and desires would be more helpful for Lena than analytic thinking and observing his present behavior. Mm-hmm. Like Just keeping in mind that this is a pattern with this person.
1: Yeah. And that goes back to this idea that she is so narrowly focused. She's looking at what's in front of her, but she's not putting it together into a bigger picture at the moment. Yes. But another thing that came up in the course of that conversation with Lex and Lena is that he kind of poked. Lena and reminds her that she's making Project Nano Cherry for herself. Mm -hmm. Like she reacts and is like, no, for the good of humanity. (laughs) Well, I've read it kind of like he
0: lets slip the way that he reads her actions. Yeah, it's his perception, again, of her actions. He says, I am impressed sabotaging your friend to get what you want. And she's like, "Um, no. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, for the good of humanity. (laughs) Yes. It is what she
1: wants, though. I Mm -hmm. mean, that is the critical part of it that she still does not accept. Like she may be doing something that has an end benefit to others, but she... She is doing it for emotional
0: satisfaction for herself. Mm -hmm. And then another character that Lex is manipulating, essentially, is Brainy, who is focused on the big picture, much like several of the other characters. And this is something that Lex preys upon. He says, once you are done, you'll have gotten us one step closer to saving the world. Make sure to (laughs) remind him of that fact or (laughs) fiction. And so Brainy is thinking very holistically and ignoring details that indicate that this is probably a bad idea working with Lex. Like Lex saying that the toy man infiltrating the DEO was need to know and like not offering an explanation for that. And Raina just kind of accepts that he's not going to get that information, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And then Lex has this plan of like getting immortality to fight Leviathan. And he says, it's the one advantage they have over me, which is kind of a weak argument for practically what they're trying to do. Like, why would Lex living forever <laughs> make it easier for them to defeat to win? Leviathan now?
1: <laughs> yes. And it also amuses me going back to Kara saying that she thought Voldemort was like the worst villain. (laughs) in all of cinema because of the connection to this villain who was chasing immortality and this grand sense of himself. so
0: That's actually funny in terms of Kara because I always envisioned her as someone who, if faced with the fact that she has a longer lifespan than most people, would be upset by it. So someone who would seek it out in that way may seem kind of unnatural to her and perhaps selfish or something like that.
1: And then to round out our secondary characters related to this topic, we had Andrea, who is busy trying to perfect her virtual reality world, in which apparently you will also be able to sustain yourself physically. <laughs> (laughs) While eating virtual food. Yeah,
0: wild. Somehow. (laughs) Somehow. Andrea is, well, we initially see her very concerned about the big picture and perfecting obsidian platinum. And then when she thinks about kind of smaller details in perhaps a more analytic thinking way and like determining what she thinks is right in the moment, she is convinced to then minimize that instinct by Gemma. Gemma preys upon Andrea's instinct to think big. And when Andrea is valuing her friendship with Lena and trying maybe not to entangle the murky waters there with her company, Gemma gets her to think bigger and essentially ignore that. And it's interesting because she emphasizes the past and the future with regard to Obsidian and how Andrea's father spent his life building it. And they're on the precipice of one of the biggest tech advancements in history. And it sort of forms this grand and important story about Obsidian. And so it forms a massive concept of what it is that Mm. towers over... Over everything else in comparison. It makes her friendship with Lena seem small. And then Gemma also interestingly reminds Andrea of her own self-perception, how she sees herself and her code for how she usually acts. She reminds her of all the other relationships you've abandoned to get this where it needs to be. Mm.
1: And she deliberately delivers it through a voice of a mentor figure, mm. much in the same way that Rhea did that to manipulate Lena in season uh, two.
0: True. And so uh, Andrea ends up calling Lena up and asking for her assistance with the obsidian platinum lenses. And we'll see the repercussions for that in the future. Yeah, those two things
1: merged together don't seem like a good idea. (laughs) In terms of like big tech, uh, scary. (laughs) So that wraps up our thoughts related to our theme on perception. And we also have a few questions we received related to this episode that we'll talk about and some post-episode just general thoughts that don't connect to that theme specifically.
0: Mm-hmm. I just wanted to note that I thought the directing in this episode, particularly for the action scenes, was mm-hmm. quite good. They used a lot of circular motion and long shots for sequences. and
1: The car and Alex, like the back-to-back with the circular, that was cool. Speaking of the all-seeing eye, the camera <laughs> was following yeah, exactly in a very similar way like that, which was really cool. Mm-hmm.
0: I also thought particularly the part where the... Machine guns popped out of the ceiling and started shooting and we followed Kara as she tried to push people out of the way to help them Mm. was a great way of demonstrating Kara's ability to do so and kind of tie you into the moment. And I also just love a good Denver sisters back to back action scene. (laughs) <laughs> so shout out to Alexis Ostrander
1: This wasn't a directing related thing But I really enjoyed the opening scene at the bar <laughs> The karaoke scene Because we had A, the really nice moment of the four like original cast members At the little round table hmm. Having their conversation about superhero names Which, nice <laughs> Yes But also the way the karaoke scene was blocked and filmed Really captured like
0: that chaotic energy <laughs> that one tends to experience <laughs> Yes During karaoke ca- Karaoke, so... It had a very improvisational feel. Yeah. And I kind of think it probably included some improvisation in terms of like, and now she howls and (laughs) (laughs) miming out playing the instruments and such.
1: (laughs) Yes. And so related to that, we actually got a question from Cyclone Rachel on Tumblr. If we had gotten a complete karaoke night with all of the super fam, what songs would you have wanted
0: them to sing and why? Hmm... Part of me wants to see Alex sing like one of her punk (laughs) songs from her childhood, like some like simple plan (laughs) or something like that. Although I think it would probably be not true to who Alex is now to be like, sorry, I'm not perfect, mom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like one of her like teenage angst mood. (laughs) Yes, but it would delight me to see it like maybe Alex and another character bonding over it or something. That
1: would be really funny. I don't know why I had this passing thought today, but I feel like Brainy would appreciate Kesha weirdly Mm -hmm. well, and I would like to see him bust out, we are who we are. Nice. I like it. Just to see him do the line when we've got our hot pants on
0: and up. (laughs) (laughs) The alternate line for Leroy Jenkins is, it's going down. I'm yelling tonight. Perfect. (laughs) I'm just picturing him being
1: like, DJ, turn it up. Yeah. I dig it. <laughs> I mean, the alternate Brady, I could see with glitter and fishnet stockings looking sick and sexified. He'd be all about that. It's fine. If Rainey
0: could do that sort of sing talk style
1: quite well, it yes, would be good. It would be great. What about Wynn? We've already seen Wynn do. Yes. He does like a lot of 80s hairband <laughs> classics, mm-hmm. like an episode
0: of Glee. Uh. <laughs> I want to see Jaune sim- sing some like, specifically like a female R&B artist. <laughs> Why? I want to see him try to do some riffs. I don't know. I just want it. (laughs) Interesting choice. Okay. (laughs) We have another question from an anonymous Tumblr user. So how exactly is Brainy going to run a government agency if he didn't even exist in the eyes of the 21st century government until whenever he started working as a DEO agent? Although we saw that Megan's Brainy, Megan Rath, who was the female Brainy, was also the DEO director in her timeline. So I guess similar events to this must have happened in her past. So I would assume
1: in order for Brainy to have been cleared for work to the point that he did not come under any scrutiny, even when Colonel Haley took over, Hmm. that Alex and Jean and whomever else at the DEO covered their bases as far as building him a sufficiently credible background profile documents all that stuff. That's part of their job for the undercover mm. stuff. So that's a boring answer.
0: But <laughs> yeah. Well, we have three characters who worked at the DEO and were born on Earth. <laughs> we have Cara, yes. John and Brainy.
1: Well, Jean got away with it because he literally wore someone else's <laughs> face and stole his life. That's a little it's, bit different. That's fair. But then again, once he revealed who he was, they did let him keep his job. So yes. give it, given that Jean was still the director when Brainy came in officially and you also had a president who was an alien at probably they don't care (laughs) Um. yeah So we have another anonymous Tumblr question. Given the disturbing implications of Obsidian's virtual reality tech being used to separate emotionally damaged people out of society, do you think Lena could end up being trapped there by Lex or even choosing to send herself there indefinitely when her mind control plot fails or gets hijacked by Lex? Somehow Lena choosing a self-imposed black mercy over therapy seems (laughs) sort of in character for her.
0: In the level of drama, perhaps and <laughs> and having a stream reaction to a situation but lena would not be willing to relinquish control over her life <laughs> in that way no that's true
1: but what if she didn't know she was doing it what do you mean? <laughs> Just in in the sense of thinking of the way that this post-crisis has kind of been pushing us to not be quite sure what's real and what isn't. Mm. There could be a situation, much like thinking back to the reference that I made to War Games, where you think you're playing a simulation, but it is also reality. <laughs> Interesting, perhaps. And also thinking how much time she spent with those lenses, yeah. thinking no one was monitoring her and, you know, using them and going through different situations and stuff. Who knows? Maybe she's still doing that. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, in terms of (laughs) the theory that Lex could trap her there, that would be a particularly cruel... (laughs) option for him in terms of maybe like an end game for lena and her kind of using them as a crutch at one point and trying to control everything and then eventually being trapped there where she's like this is all i have i can't leave so one i don't have control which she doesn't like (laughs) and two i only have control (laughs) i don't have any access to reality and maybe realizing that that's not a nice thing (laughs) yeah so interesting
1: i like it as a concept i don't know that they'll Go that way, though. I mean, Lex may try it.
0: Mm. I would imagine it would be short term.
1: (laughs) Yeah, if something like that were to happen, I think it would be short term, in part because Lex has recognized that however much he does not want to need Lena, to some extent he needs Lena Mm -hmm. because she's good at things that he isn't. So he wouldn't want her completely incapacitated. And in a fantasy world, she'd never want to leave.
0: Well, he might pull a situation that he did with, like, Red Daughter where he, like, puts her in an enclosure and then, like, takes her out when it's useful. And our final question we have from an anonymous Tumblr user is, how is Jean paying for the tower and now Alex? Is he like Ron (laughs) Swanson with gold hidden away? Maybe from the California gold rush. How long has he been on Earth? That's appreciated a lot. A good question. Um, we were asking ourselves this. We also
1: asked this question: like,
0: Is Alex getting paid? <laughs> like, how is
1: I, know, I was like, is Alex just become a trophy wife? Like, what's happened? And
0: then, um, so Kelly, we suddenly support your VR, <laughs> your job at Obsidian.
1: Yeah. So it was kind of implied when Jean. Established his private eye business That he went about it in a legitimate way And it is a real business And so presumably he does get paid At least by those who can afford to pay It has very elementary vibes (laughs) In the sense that Sherlock and Joan Will get paid to consult and do different cases But they'll also do some for free Like for people who really need it Mm, Yes And that seems kind of like That's the place that Jean is in As far as his business Particularly with helping aliens so I would assume if he had the money to trick out his hideout <laughs> yeah, and uh, put in like a secret elevator and all this mm-hmm. other stuff that business is going okay. And honestly, he did take over... Henshaw's life, and <laughs> we don't know how long he was on Earth prior to that. So maybe he does have a
0: secret stash of money. Maybe he has Martian technology that shapeshifts things into, into gold. money. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> oh, God, no. That's like creepy Rumpelstiltskin.
1: That's not. <laughs> don't go there. So presumably, Alex will also make money being a consultant with Sean.
0: Yes. I mean, we've been talking about like how nice it would be to have some economic diversity in the show. So I would not be upset if they were a little bit pressed for money and had to deal with that.
1: Yeah, that would be nice. And on that note, we had a fun surprise ending. Number one, a Danvers sisters couch scene for the second time this season. Uh, (laughs) Number two. We got a new rebooted Mixus Pitlick, and I already like him better than the other one for the simple mm-hmm. fact that he knocked on the door and asked to be invited in instead of showing up and creepily putting Kara in a wedding dress. So yeah, already winning. you uh, winning. Yes. <laughs> compared to the last version. <laughs> uh.
0: So next week will be the 100th episode of Supergirl. It's going to be a blast from the past, it seems, Mr. Mixus Pitlick. Is going to... Take Kara on a journey. Take Kara on a journey of possibly (laughs) alternate timelines in a way. We'll see how that turns out. Like, I know they're taking the concept
1: from It's a Wonderful Life, but I'm also picturing him a little bit as like the ghosts of past, present, future (laughs) from
0: like the Christmas Carol. Except in this case, perhaps he'll be showing how great a person Kara is. And perhaps we'll see some faces from episodes past that we haven't seen in a while.
1: I hope so. That should be exciting. Yes. Given how well they kept the secret of the guests for some of Crisis, I'm kinda hoping we'll get some like fun surprises that haven't already been spoiled. So mm, yes. Me too.
0: Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. (laughs) So that wraps up our companion episode to Back from the Future, part two. We will see you next week for It's a Super Life. If you guys have any questions about that episode or previous episodes, send them to us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Supergirls Attic. And thanks for listening.